When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. We're about a couple of days away from the big day. That is Christmas Day. CJ, I would love to know where you are at with your Christmas shopping. I'm not as, I've still got some to do. You know, I, I've, <laughs> and loyal listeners of the show will know I was trying to be better this year. I actually have been better for sure, because it's not like I have it all to do, but you know, we're down to the, the brass tacks, trying to take care of the last few work, you know, assignments before Christmas time, you know, getting ready for some social events and this and that. And I've got to cram in some Christmas shopping. So it's, it's it's not as bad as I have been, but I'm I'm in full honesty and transparency. I've I've let it slide a little bit again, which just I mean, it wouldn't be a year without me having to scramble on like the 23rd. Oh, man, I I guess as, as someone who is going to fly back home, uh, like I can't and it only has like a limited window with people like I can't afford to like be in too many brick and mortar stores waiting in line trying to get gifts. I've sort of risked it just like ordering everything online and hoping things get in on time, which is technically on top of things, but also like maybe some stuff might not come in by the 23rd. Like that, that comes with its own perils as well. I'm very, I'm very antsy this year. I'm trying to be on top of stuff, but there's a risk that comes with it. I've, I've always needed a deadline, man. Like, like just for anything in my life, like I was Me a pretty too. good, I was a pretty good student you know, in my university or high school days, but I still would, I'm, I'm finishing the essay the last night and sometimes the morning it's due. I mean, I, I would, I would always hit the deadlines, but I usually needed them. I mean, even when I moved to Toronto, when I moved here for university, I literally packed the morning that my parents were driving me in garbage bags. Like what? Yes. Like that's a real thing. I'm, my mom was not too pleased with me at the time, but I literally, I, I, do tend I like to ride the lightning and get close to a deadline. So as I said, by the by some of the past versions of me or things like that, like I'm way ahead. I've like not only do I have I purchased some gifts, some of them are already wrapped. So like I am way ahead of previous year's CJs, but I'm still I'm still feeling the pinch. Like I wake up today, it's Monday. You know, my motivation right now, like I gotta be honest, like my brain is everywhere. Like, you know, it, it's hard because I'm not on full vacation mode yet. I'm sure you're not. I, you know, I still have some stories to write. We've got another pod this week, you know, insider trading for TSN tomorrow. Like, like there's still some work on my plate, but like, I'm not, yeah, my, I'm, I'm a bit of a scatterbrain this morning. Um, and yeah, I still have some, if you have any good Christmas ideas, throw them in the, throw them in the group chat. I'm going to get, I'm probably going to get desperate at some point. Uh, also throw them in the comment section. Let us know how you are doing with uh, your Christmas shopping. Uh, you mentioned episodes this week. This is going to be a bit of a weird time for the show because we're doing a show on Monday 
And that's probably going to be like the last regular show we're going to have for a bit because we're going to have a show on Wednesday, or at least we're going to record on Wednesday. And then next week, it's Wednesday, Friday, as opposed to Monday, Thursday, just to account for holiday stuff and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, just as a heads up, Monday, Wednesday this week, and then yeah. Wednesday, Friday next week. December 21st, 28th, and 30th, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ish. Might not, might not like drop that. on that exact day, but more or less around. That's the rough schedule events. More or less. Yeah. We're, we're, we're figuring, we're figuring some stuff out, but at least for us, we're trying to uh, account for that. At least uh, if it ends up working out as a regular schedule thing, I guess we could disregard it. But uh, yeah, we know for us, we're trying to figure stuff out. Um, you know who else is trying to figure stuff out? The Calgary Flames, uh, who won yesterday against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, but Daryl Sutter, uh, let everyone know his goal is to be in a playoff spot by Christmas time. I remember the beginning of the year seeing projections, uh, seeing expectations, hearing people talk about the Flames. And a lot of people thought of them as this like contending team. I think at the Athletic, in terms of their projections, they have them as like number two. And the only other team that their model, our in-house model, uh, projected to be better than is the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know that comes with its own set of jokes and comments, but the Leafs are also a generally a good team. But the Flames were also projected to be very good. And now they find themselves fighting for a wild card playoff spot at Christmas. Just in your estimation from, from what you've seen of the Calgary Flames from the beginning of the season to now, what do you think is up with them, I guess it's the best way to to kind of put it because they're sort of playing below general expectations. Well, I think it's totally understandable. And, you know, when you have the kind of changes they had, you know, we could talk about culture and all those things within a team. But, you know, your two top scorers go out the door at the end of last year. You're bringing in new big dogs, but like everyone's got to find their place. Obviously in terms of like forward lines and stuff like, like sort of practical on ice things haven't really come together in my view, you know, the flames are, you know, not scoring enough to, to have the kind of success I think they want to have. Um, but also I just think behind the scenes, just like the way a team comes together, it's just going to take some time. I, I don't think you can, there's no magic formula to that. I mean, it's, it's part of the dangers that you have even with a trade deadline. Like if you make too big of a deal at the deadline, like it's only six or seven weeks, for that player to incorporate himself right before the playoff starts, you know, oftentimes that doesn't work. Um, and so I do think big picture, my view of the team hasn't changed dramatically. Uh, I, you know, among all those predictions in preseason, I actually saw a lot of people say this team might take a step back in the regular season, but might be built to, to have more postseason success. And I think that could still be the case. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'm not inclined to make any snap huge judgments here. I mean, I, I'm not shying away from the fact it's underwhelming. You know, if you're 32 games into the season and you have a negative goal differential, that doesn't look like a Stanley Cup kind of contender. But, you know, the, the counter side to that is there's still 50 games of regular season play left. So, you know, there's time to find yourself and and to buckle down. You know, it's nice that Daryl Sutter has that be in the playoffs by Christmas thing. But, like, look how tight the standings are between Colorado, Edmonton, a few other teams. You know, it's like one win here or there briefly puts you above the line into a wild card spot or drops you back. Um, you know, clearly they're within reach of being able to to make a run towards the playoffs, but you know, it's gonna have to be a lot better for them to get there and to to get there with 
you know, some expectations to do damage. But you know, I still think there's time to do that. I think the deadline, the Flames could be a team that's that's adding still, and and you know, we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, it's it's been sort of uninspiring to this point. But I, you know, some of the contracts they sign, right? Like you're signing Kadri for seven years. You're giving an eight year extension to Jonathan Huberdeau. I mean, those were big picture. We were never going to judge the success or or failure of those decisions on 30 games. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how we'll see how everything comes together. But they're they're definitely feeling some duress, you know, um, because this season has not been easy. And, and you know, it's I, I still think everyone's finding their way, quite honestly. Uh, we've discussed a lot about especially in local media in Calgary about the the about Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger trying to get up to speed. Nazem Kadri had a hot start, kind of cooled off a little bit, but he's starting to get points back. There's been a lot of discussion about players. What about when it comes to Brad Treliving? Because Daryl Sutter's future, at least from a contract standpoint, seems to be assured for the next two years after this one. Brad Treliving doesn't have a contract when it comes to after this season. Like there's when do we start questioning his future? With the organization, well, it's a it's a different circumstance, right? I mean, you, you don't often see GMs go right to the end of their deal. I actually believe, if memory serves correct, the Bradford Living did that the last time around. Though he did actually work out his his contract year and and then you know signed an extension, and here he is today. You know, I think it's a fair question. I I, I don't have any reason to believe he's going to be fired, but who knows? Maybe Me neither. Maybe he chooses to walk out the door. You know, I, I don't I don't know how that's all going to play down. Um, you know, I, I've kind of had the same view of Kyle Dubas in Toronto. I've, I've said, you know, at the start of the year when that was a big talking point, I'm like, there, there's two sides to every contract. Is that, you know, the, the Leafs might be wanting to see how the season plays out before extending him. I mean, he might want to test his options if, if he's got to go through this. I mean, um, we'll see how it goes. But I, I, look, it's it's definitely notable. Um, because Bradshaw Living made big decisions too, based on the Flames. I mean, he kind of set in stone, you know, the big picture future of where the organization's going to head. I mean, if someone else comes in and runs a team starting next season, obviously they can tinker around the margins. But you know, there's some pretty big contracts to to important players on the team now on the books, um, and so you know, those weren't actions of someone looking to to be done. But you know, it's. Uh, some of the ways the teams are doing business has changed. I, I think there was a time, quite honestly, you almost saw no coach or GM ever go into a contract here. Essentially, the idea was you'd be signed at least a year out so that if that's a sort of severance, I guess, if if things go wrong and, and uh, you, you trade places. But, you know, now, you know, now, now it's it's happened a bit more and, and you know, we'll see. Uh, but I think Bradshaw Living's done a nice job. I think he I still think he did a nice job last summer. I. I that was a pretty difficult set of circumstances foisted upon him. And, you know, I think they've, they've still built a pretty good team here. And as I say, it's not a complete picture. There's, there's I would expect you're going to see some more changes before the deadline, um, you know, in Calgary and, and, you know, it's on the coach too. Like I, I, I think some of this, the, there, there should be more heat maybe on Daryl Sutter to, to find solutions too. Um and, you know, in particular, it just seems like it's been a disjointed year with their forward lines and figuring out how the pieces fit. And, you know, some of that falls on the coaching staff, too. Yeah, I think so. I think the fact that a guy like Jonathan Huberto is still being moved up and down the lineup. And I mean, I get like, you know, production is one thing that they want 
from him, but also just kind of being jumbled around and trying to find a fit for him. That it's it's pretty apparent that that's what they're trying to do with the way they've shuffled lines and the fact that they are in the position that they're in right now. They're and they're underachieving. Yeah, I think the coaching staff definitely deserves um, some scrutiny for what it is. But yeah, I'm also with you in the fact that there is a lot of time for those guys to to figure it out, and maybe they're just built to be more of a playoff team, but also you have to do enough in the regular season to get to the dance in the first place. So yeah, I, I think it is very much warranted if, if a guy like Daryl Sutter has heat pressed upon him, because, you know, I don't think this team, a lot of people expected this team to be where they're at right now with the pieces that they have, even if there is supposed to be like a, um, okay. I forgot the word in my head, but like an adjustment period for those guys. Yeah. We're going to learn something about all these teams, right? Like to me, the Flames and the Oilers are in a similar spot, uh, just given expectations and the fact there's not much separating them as we're recording this in the standings. And, and neither of them are completely assured of of making the playoffs at this point. You know, even the Avalanche, obviously injuries have played a massive part of their season. But, you know, it's going to be kind of a fascinating once we get into the second half. Like it's not that far here from. Like, I, I do think there's something about getting on the other side of the, the Christmas break here. Like, the, the league goes up a level, and it starts to get a little bit more real. You know, January and then, you know, February, there's an all-star break, and every team has a bye week. Like, it will not be that long before we're at the deadline. Put it that way. It, it'll happen fast. And, you know, there's there's just a world where not all of Edmonton, Colorado, and Calgary make the playoffs. Um you know, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, th- those are three locks when when you're when you're doing your preseason predictions in September. And so we're going to learn about th- these teams. And, you know, I know that it's been beat around a lot, but the St. Louis Blues not that long ago, you know, made the turn you know into the new year and they were near last place in the league and they won a Stanley Cup that year. So I think we do have to keep in mind that that you can get it together and find your your next level. Like, I think every team wants to be improving throughout the year. Um, because if you, if not, things can get stale and, you know, you can lose some of that momentum, but, you know, I think, I think there's gotta be some urgency for the flames and, you know, maybe that's part of what Daryl Sutter is trying to instill by saying, you know, get, get into a playoff spot by Christmas time. Like let's, let's approach these last couple of games before the break with some real focus because yeah, it's, it's gets late early in this league. By the way, uh, before we bring on David Bastel for you can bet that uh, because I'm petty, I'm just going to mention uh, the playoff. The Remember the uh, playoff thing we were discussing in the last episode that uh, Gary Bettman doesn't like? You mentioned Edmonton, Colorado, and Calgary uh, fighting for a playoff spot on the wild card. You mean to tell me none of y'all want to watch a potential play-in round with either of those teams play against each other? None of you guys care about that? Just. I just want that said. I'm with people who don't like the idea of having two extra regular season games that don't matter. But if y'all don't care about a play-in game that could have the potential of having those teams in there, I don't want to talk to you. Right. It's funny about that 84-game schedule, right? Because no yes. one... I understand why... First of all, it does help just by that numbers thing. You can have a kind of cleaner schedule matrix. Like it's about you know which teams you play when. And but no one really wants to see two more regular season games like truly like I get. And from a player standpoint, I'm sure it's going to be more HRR, more money for player contracts, fewer days to practice. Let's call that part of it, too. I'm sure if you're thinking of, you know, I can't put myself in the shoes of an NHL player, but I I do know when I was playing hockey a lot as a kid, I liked the, the games a lot more than the practices. 
And I imagine that's probably the case for a lot of NHL players still. Um, so I, I can see why the temptation is there, but if we're adding games, let's add the playing games versus two more Tuesday nights against bland opponent. Why? You know what I mean? Exactly. I know exactly what you mean. All right. Time for you can bet that with David Bastel. Let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks, CJ. Every week, there's something to talk about with the Vancouver Canucks. Shout out my friend, uh, Samantha Chang, uh, who hosts uh, Game Over Vancouver and uh, loves, loves talking about the Vancouver Canucks and everything they've gone through. Last thing, last week, we talked about Bo Horvat and his situation. And now it seems like everybody, except Elias Patterson, is uh, available if you want. Uh, a piece of them, Siege. What's your insight on whatever the hell is going on in Vancouver? We should turn that into a segment at this point with how shit goes down in that city. What the hell is going on in Vancouver? It's such a fundamental question, right? Because it's 10 years where they haven't ripped the Band-Aid off and, and burned it to the ground. I, I'm not convinced necessarily that they're going to rip the Band-Aid off fully and burn it to the ground. But, but clearly, I think they've been pushed to a point where there's frustration with the team like from management's end um feeling of underperformance now there's some contractual situations that enter into the fray you know like Bo Horvat you're, you're forced to make a decision one way or the other because he's a pending unrestricted free agent and occasionally teams let someone with his sort of quality walk out the door for nothing but more often than not you're you're in a spot if you have a player that good he's your captain he's been productive this year you're either signing him or trading him uh, come March 3rd. You know, then you have the Brock Besser situation where you know, I think everybody agrees that it, in terms of management and his agents and him, that it's time for a fresh start. I, you know, I don't want to call it a mess, but it's kind of a mess, right? They're, they're just stuck in the middle, but they've been perpetually stuck in the middle. And, the, and so the frustration grows. I think there are tons of parallels, and this is not to make everything about Toronto, but there are tons of parallels from where the Leafs were to the point where Brendan Shanahan came in. Um, because if you, if you look back through the sort of Brian Burke era and then Dave Nonis, you know, briefly succeeded him for a couple of years after, they were always kind of going for it, but they never had a team that was good enough to go for it. They didn't make the playoffs, you know, except for the one year, the, the lockout short in 2012-13 season. And, and you know, you looked at the cupboard and you're like, they don't have the good enough prospects. They don't. They have some good players, but not enough to win anything. I think that's sort of where the Canucks are. The Canucks probably actually have some better players in that Leafs team. I haven't looked at it. I'm going off the top of my head more. Um, but, you know, certainly like Elias Pettersson is having a great year. I mean, it's sort of lost in in everything that's going on there, but he's on pace for his best year um, by the numbers. And so that's that's a positive. But, yeah, I mean, I think they have to consider larger scale changes and, and they're going to do it. And it, the question is, are they going to pull the trigger, right? Like, I'm still kind of confused. Like JT Miller's name was so prominently mentioned last summer in trade rumors, and then they pivoted and signed him, you know, so we're now talking about more trade rumors, but are they actually going to trade these guys or, you know, like that, that's, that's the question. And so it's, it's definitely a, a, an important topic, like league wide, like, cause they, they have some players that if they were traded, we could talk about some big trades, but I, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull those moves off or not. And it's almost like fool me once fool me twice like is this actually going to happen is this is this speculation going to have an end point i mean i i would have to think they're going to trade a few guys away um at this deadline but i don't know man 
it's it's a strange spot. I just think they're I literally think they're caught in the middle. They're not bad enough. They're not good enough. They don't have a clear enough plan. I think they have to, you know, I, I really think that, and I know the Leafs haven't gotten anywhere in terms of winning Stanley Cups or anything, but they've, they, they, they sort of recalibrated and they've definitely climbed to a greater height than, than where they were at for about 10 years lost in the desert. And I feel like the Canucks are still lost in the desert. What's a better segment? Uh, what the hell is wrong with the Canucks or we make everything about the Leafs? I know. And then you mix it. But honestly, this is that like if you look back and and like I lived through that time as a reporter, it, it, the parallels are there. Like it, that's not like a stretch because like the Leafs weren't awful. Like they had Nazem Kadri and they had Joffrey Lupo when he was healthy. You know, he put he had, you know, point per game season. They had Phil Kessel. Like they they had they had players like it wasn't like they were bereft of talent, but they didn't have a coherent plan. And they were sort of always just finishing five points out of the playoffs and not drafting high enough. And, you know, you get in a cycle like that. Um, and I get that it's hard and there's no guarantees like that. The league is really disincentivized pure tanking with the way that the draft lottery works now. Like there's there's risk that you have a season where you win like 15 games and still draft fourth and just get you know, a guy that, that maybe doesn't make, you know, doesn't really change the program around. But I, I think the Canucks have to try because they, they just have locked themselves into so many long, big money deals. You look back on that series of trades Jim Benning made to, you know, bring in Oliver Ekman Larson with, with a lot of money and a lot of years left. And, and, you know, just as not, and he can't be an impactful enough player at his age. Like it's just the wrong deal to make. If you're thinking big picture, which they, they should have been at the time. And it's not even, this is not even, this isn't the benefit of hindsight either. Like a lot of people, including myself, were saying that at the time. Like it, mm-hmm. it was a head scratcher in the moment. It looks even worse now because we're two years down the road and and that contract doesn't get better over time. It just, you know, very few players get better over time. Like when you're getting to your 30s, I mean, the odd one does pop, but like in general, you're every contract every year into the 30s just seems a little bit worse. Um, and so yeah, I I don't know. I just I'm hesitant to say they're definitely going to blow this up because, it, you know, right now all we have is this idea that all the players are being shopped or they're, or they're being listened to, that they're gauging the marketplace. You know, but we're a year in now since Jim Rutherford took over, you know, hired Patrick Alvin as his general manager almost a year since that happened. And, and there really haven't been sizable moves made just yet. I mean, the most sizable move was extending JT Miller. And, and that already looks like a, a questionable decision. And, and we thought JT Miller for the longest was going to get shopped. We spent an entire summer thinking, okay, well, there's noise and chatter around JT Miller. Well, he it's was probably... shopped. He yeah, just I wasn't mean, yes. sold. He just wasn't sold. But like we thought he was going to be sold. I mean, there were teams that wanted him. Like he had a, over 100 points last season. Like, like yeah. I, I get why if you're a contender, you would want to add him on because you're you're grafting him onto a, an already solid lineup. And look, he'll probably have a bounce back. Like, like it's. I don't think he's totally washed. I mean, I should be clear. It's just that he's signed to a long-term deal that hasn't even kicked in just yet. So it's a lot of years. uh, And, you know, those might be years where the Canucks do finally enter something looking like a rebuild. It's probably not the sort of guy you're going to want around for that. And he might not want to be around for that either. He probably wants to try to win the Stanley Cup, I would guess, you know, where he's at in his career. So, yeah, it just, it feels, it feels like there's, you know, this comes from the top too, right? Like this is, an organization 
you know, that the belief is that ownership hasn't wanted them to go into a rebuild. Right. So like, it's not just, this isn't just pointing a finger at it, one general manager or, or at the last, you know, the last front office, the Jim Benning years. Like, I think that they're executing the will of the people that sign their checks too. Um, but I, I, you know, at some point collect it, like they're going to, you're, you're going to hit the ditch one way or the other. Right. Like I, so many bad decisions coupled on top of each other, it's going to happen whether you want it or not. And so I, I think it's how proactive you can be, you know, and Jim Rutherford, granted, he's the president of this team. Like he's, he's built an entire career on being one of the most fearless traders in the game. Like he, he is not afraid to lose a trade because he, he always believes that if he makes a bad decision, that he'll undo it with another trade. And, and if you look at his time in Pittsburgh, that that's definitely the case, even in Carolina back when he won his first Stanley cup as a general manager, you know, he was very aggressive all the time. And so I'm still expecting that to kick in at some point in time, um, but it hasn't happened yet. And, and, you know, part of the problem is, is the league, we're just not seeing trades in general. It's not like only the Canucks aren't making deals. Like nobody's making deals because that darn salary cap has made it a little difficult. And uh, it's only going up by about a mil next year. Maybe, maybe. maybe. I still think there's, I still think there's a scenario where, there's a negotiated larger increase between the players and the owners. We're just, they haven't had those negotiations. So how can you, how can you presuppose the outcome? But, but I just think it, it makes sense for both sides to want to see a little bit of a bump as long as it's done properly so that the, the owners are repaid the pandemic debt and, and all those types of things. But that that's a CBA related issue. So that's a negotiation and, and you know, that negotiation hasn't started yet. Before we get to uh, the Hockey Canada portion of the podcast, uh, just a quick note with uh, James Van Riemsdyk, who uh, it was mentioned over the weekend that uh, he could be made available in a trade. Well, he was made available last year at the deadline, too. It just couldn't find any takers. I, I guess what's changed is that he's now in the, in the expiring year of his contract with a $7 million cap hit. The money is really low. So so in terms of the actual financials, um, the remaining money on his deal, I, I mean, I, I could see the the Flyers retaining half of the the cap hit because the salary expenditure isn't tremendous, and and you know doing right by a player uh, that's that's now had two long stints with that organization. Um, you know he's he'll be interesting. I mean he's just missed a bunch of time here with an injury. Let's see where his game's at. Do does he perform well enough that contenders feel he can help? Um, you know last year they couldn't move him. This year I, I think the odds are a little higher, but. Cap space is at a premium and it's no slam dunk that, you know, because I think like clearly there are players that are more appealing for teams looking down to forward at this point in time. Um, but James Van Riemsdyk scored a lot of goals. He's he's proven to be really good down low on the power play. I, I, I think he could help in the right fit. It's just about finding that fit. Yeah. So uh, we'll keep an eye on him. And eventually when we start our trading pile again, uh, we'll throw his name in from time to time. Okay, we've so got a big board coming. I, oh yeah, early January. I'm rolling out my big board, so oh, okay, that'll give us that'll give us some content. CJ's big board coming to a podcast near you in the year of our Lord 2023. Let's move on to Hockey Canada now. Um, yesterday being Sunday, a uh, story coming out from Robin Doolittle, the Globe and Mail. I know we've praised Katie Strang a lot for her reporting. We've praised Rick Westhead, who has been at the front. Uh, in terms of reporting on this story and many important stories when it comes to hockey culture. Uh, but Robin Doolittle uh, with the Globe and Mail, when it comes to uh, the investigation of the 2018 World Junior Team, also deserves some credit. 
uh, dropping a story on Sunday morning, uh, the big headline essentially saying that police investigators in London feel they have grounds to say five members of that team uh, sexually assaulted a woman. Uh, there are some details in the court filings that have been redacted, names also redacted, so we're not going to be speculating on any names. Not that we would do that anyway at this point, uh, but we don't know names, and at some point, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we will. We just do not know that right now. There are a few other details mentioned in that story as well, even though uh, some stuff was redacted. Uh, the Global Mail is saying at least what's been put out there in terms of the filings, it provides the most full picture of what might have happened uh, a few years ago. Siege, in terms of some of the details that we do know from that story in the Globe and Mail, what are your thoughts? What insights do you have? Uh, again, just another tough situation when it comes to the story. Well, let's be clear. Like, I think we all sort of figured it was going to come to this point. Um, maybe that's not fair, but it just felt like there was enough here that like so i'm not necessarily surprised to learn this but you know this what we're seeing is the london police service you know this is a result of its investigation you know the investigation we've been waiting for essentially to find out what the nhl is going to do when it comes to potentially disciplining these players um it's 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 proof of what they found essentially and and there's a number of troubling slash damning aspects of this the first is that the you know, the sergeant that, that filed this report said that he believes the woman had no choice, that essentially this was a sexual assault. Um, you know, so confirming wrongdoing or or the belief that this this isn't, you know, because sometimes with sexual assaults, it, it can it can be this person said this is you know word against word, but here the, the conclusion is that it was against her will. Uh the second big issue for me. Um, the player identified as player number one, sort of the, the primary person that was first with the woman at the bar and is alleged to have invited his teammates into the hotel room later on, uh, that he was warned the next day by Hockey Canada that this complaint had been filed and ended up, um, you know, going to the alleged victim and, and you know, sending her messages. Because that contradicts a lot of what was said in the Canadian House of Commons, right, uh, where Hockey Canada officials said that they didn't know who the players were. You know, there, there was a lot more vague about the details. Well, this this paints a different picture. You know, the third thing that stands out, and, and there's a lot. I'm sure I'm going to miss something, but there's a lot of stuff in that story. And honestly, like I, I I didn't even really go through any of the finer details. I I get it. Like there's a lot in that story. No, but I'm just saying, like this isn't a this isn't a comprehensive list of all the things wrong. But these are what my right. takeaways were. Absolutely, you know, there was a, that there was someone. Uh, who went by the initials MM um, that worked for Hockey Canada or, or worked in some capacity with the World Junior Team was said to be well dressed and was kind of encouraging again the the woman at least that's the allegation here to leave with the player or, or what have you and so the, it, it goes on and on from there but essentially what you have here is this idea that the organization or those some within the organization of Hockey Canada you know played a role at least this one gentleman in kind of getting it to the point where something could happen that the player was notified by hockey Canada that something had happened and, and you know he was trying to influence it from the back end i mean the whole thing again i can't say that i'm surprised to learn this because it sort of seemed like it was heading in this direction but i i guess this is the most black and white account you know we've started to see of it and and i suspect there'll be more right i mean this is this was filed i believe october 17th so this isn't even the most up-to-date information on the case it's just you know the documents that 
Robin Doolittle from the Globe and Mail was able to to you know get her hands on. So um, yeah, I mean it's n- not a whole lot has changed in terms of any information I have. You know what we talked about last week is that the NHL had received some new information and was you know doing some sort of secondary work on on its investigation. Uh, the London Police Service case is still ongoing, um, but this is the some of. We're starting to see some of the details leak out. And, and I think the timing, while coincidental, is interesting because we've just seen a new board put in place for Hockey Canada, you know, right? The, the, the previous board, the previous senior leadership teams have all been removed uh, from one way or another from that organization. And so it'll be interesting to see how the new board proceeds forward with some of this information. And I'm sure much more uh, once that, that investigation is wrapped up. Any insight on those new members, by the way? I, I don't have I don't have big takeaways there. I mean, it's clear that they've you know, there was a rigorous process put in place. They wanted, you know, the correct representation of of male and females, those with some direct connection to hockey, those with maybe, you know, more business related reasons to be on a board, which is, you know, typically how boards are formed, right? It's not it's not to say everyone on a board of any in- particular company is an expert in that line of work it's more maybe you can bring a legal background you can bring different perspective and that's that's really you know probably a failing of the previous hockey Canada board it was just a lot of people that had come up through the hockey system and and maybe you know had some blind spots as a result of that um you know I, I but I don't I don't have any high level takeaways you know obviously I know Cassie Campbell a little bit through from over the years through my work you know a lot of the other people though have come from the business world that I don't I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a one year term for that board, too. I mean, this is this is meant to help move the organization forward. And and so I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on, on how they choose to do that, because admittedly, that's it's a very difficult job for whoever was going to fill those board spots, um, given given the state of the organization right now. Absolutely. And uh, as as always, we're going to continue to follow whatever the next chapter of this Hockey Canada story leads us to. Uh, as we get more details going forward. So we go from Hockey Canada to our final segment of the Monday edition of the CJ Show, which is Ask CJ, where we take in questions uh, for viewers, listeners, everyone hanging around on the Discord as well. Uh, this is the last Ask CJ before Christmas, actually. So I've uh, even got an Ask Julian today. Oh, my goodness. Uh, when do we want to get to the Ask Julian? Do we want to let's, get that off, top, or do the we... top? Yeah. Let's it was a it. question from insider Jay Money. He wanted to know about uh, your experience on Game Over Calgary. Yes, uh, which I understand you, you you made an appearance on recently. Yes. Um. So insider Jay Money is asking that question because of the fact that um, near the end of uh, the episode that went down on Sunday with uh, myself and Naughty James, uh, Adi, great dude by the way, love doing the show with him. Um, he insider Jay Money went in the comments and asked like, "What's your favorite?" Uh, like soccer goal of all time because he knows I'm like a soccer fan. He's like, why is it the uh, the Cunaguero goal on for Man City that won them the title? And then I proceeded to say that Insider J money should f off three times. Oh, so you guys had a little scrape. He 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 tried to push me. I guess I don't know. That's just what it was. I think that's 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 why he's asking about that. Okay. Well, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I just got a message from him, and I'm. You know, he's one of our most loyal listeners, so I'm not going to ignore those messages. No, you shouldn't ignore those messages. And we genuinely appreciate the support that he does provide. But uh, I was very annoyed 
at that question. I will, I will, I'm not afraid to mention that. That is like, I'm sure you have moments in your sporting fan life where you you look at and you're like, oh my God, this happened to my favorite team. I hate this moment. That that's it for me. That 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 moment is it. <laughs> like it trumps everything else. I got you. I mean, sports fandom is irrational by its definition. Hundred percent. We're cheering for laundry. <laughs> we with are some, cheering for laundry with some a rotating cast of different humans under the laundry. And of course, we do come to love certain players, but then those players move to a different team, and then you're not supposed to love them as much anymore. So it's 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 insane pursuit, but I I love it. It's given me my life, and so here we are. It's given me my life too. I forget you are are you or pro or against wearing a jersey of of a player at your age? I'm against it. Yes, you're against it. Well, That's what it was. I should say I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I'm not offended if I see a similarly aged person walking down the street in a jersey. I mean, like that's your choice. But I, I, I can't remember the last time I put on a jersey. I have a Cowboys Tony Romo jersey, but like obviously that's from when Tony Romo played for the team. So I guess probably ten years ago I was wearing that. Uh, I, I haven't had an NHL jersey since I was a kid. You know, for kind of obvious reasons. Yes. Um, you know, and like I'm a I'm a big Blue Jays fan, but I've never owned a baseball jersey. Like I just wear hats and stuff. So yeah, I, I don't I'm not a big jersey wearer. Yeah, I I like jerseys, but I the only hockey jerseys I have are uh a an orange Syracuse Crunch jersey and the blue SDPN jersey, which I think is oh, like yeah. second edition. I don't even have like a first edition of that sweater. That's when I that's when I first wore that's when I last wore a jersey though is when we announced this podcast oh, yeah. in the basement and they gave it to me. Yeah, so that's a, I would wear that jersey. Come on, I'm yeah. proud to be, but I'm part of that team. Like I, that's not you just being a fan of the SDPN. Like I'm on the squad, so yeah, you know. I like that. I'm surprised you don't have a baseball. I know we got to get to questions, but I'm surprised you don't have a baseball jersey. I feel like even if it doesn't have a player on the back, like I could see you rocking like. Jersey shirt underneath, like blue Jays hat. Like, yeah, I can see you doing that. I will say if I were to wear a Jersey, it would most likely be a baseball Jersey. I feel like it's like the one that would be most appropriate. And I love going to Jays games in the summer or the fall, whatever I could, I could see myself getting to the position where I have one, but I, I I've never owned one my whole life. And I've been a Jays fan since a long time before you were born. (laughs) We had to have some mention of uh, oh, CJ being alive before I was. Were you born in the 90s, right? I was born in 94. I was born three months. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, three months after I was born, uh, the 94 MLB strike occurred. Well, I'm giving you some history lesson here, but the Jays won the AL East in 1989. And that was pretty damn exciting because they had they they choked it away the last week of the season in 87. 88, they had a good team and didn't get it done. They finally won in 89. And like, I was obviously a little kid, but I was so pumped by that. And then, of course, 90, they they didn't do it. 91, they win it again and choke in the playoffs. Like, that was what was so cool about them winning the 1992 World Series is they were really good for a long period of time and they just couldn't get over the hump. And I think that makes it even better. Like, to me, that's the ultimate. Like, how the Washington Capitals, for example, won their cup. Yeah. Like if you were a long suffering Capitals fan, like you've seen your team have so much success and like, you know, Alex Ovechkin is what he is. Nicholas Backstrom is what he is, but they finally win. I mean, like you've really earned it by that point. Right. It wasn't like the first year they got good. They won. 
And so, yeah, that's that's where my Blue Jays fandom dates back to. And it's there's a straight line from then to now. Like I've never I never checked out on a team like I, I don't watch every game nowadays. I got a lot of crap going on in the spring. I'm usually traveling for the Stanley Cup playoffs. So but like I'm following along and uh, man, I hope this will be the year, even though it's been an uninspiring offseason here for the Blue Jays. Putting this in the universe, you and I will watch a Blue Jays game together at some point. All right. And I'll wear a jersey. Me too. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the questions. Uh, from uh, Ben88CHC, when do you think Cole Caulfield's extension will be signed? I don't get the sense there's any real, like, there's not like, there's no real push to get that done. And obviously it could change quickly, but. I think the Canadians are of the mind that it's just sort of going to be what it's going to be. Like, obviously he's going to be really well paid. Um, but I, I don't get the feeling that the, there's not like this idea that they have to get it done now because there's going to be more value or, or what have you. I think they're comfortable letting it play out for most of the season and, and see where you end up. I mean, by and large players don't like doing contracts during the year. Like I think it's a distraction and, and you know, the season is so busy. I know I say this a lot, but like, I think we might underestimate how they're, you know, they're just getting through a lot of players, like they're just managing their bodies and doing everything they got to do to get through the year. So, you know, given that he's a restricted free agent, I think, I think this is probably one that gets done in the off season. Let's move on to uh, Mike Tyler's question. Do you think there is any appetite to uh, host an NHL regular season, this regular season game or preseason game in the United Kingdom asking for a meet <laughs> there's definitely an appetite you know the league's done it before uh, at the o2 arena in london uh the the anaheim ducks were there they actually went the year after they won their stanley cup i believe and you know london's such an appealing market to all the sports right we see the nfl have games there every week it feels like during the season um i i wouldn't be surprised to see the league back there at some point in time i i don't know where they're going with next year's european games but i do know they're going to have them and they're going to be in, in different locations and where there were games this year. There was a series of games played in what Bern, Prague and uh, temporary Finland. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that it, it, there's only so many cities that have an arena that could host an NHL game just in terms of capacity in Europe. And so I wouldn't be surprised if at some point here in the future, we saw the NHL go back to the UK. Jonathan Zygmunt asks, where would you like to see Connor Bedard go? Anaheim would be fun, objectively speaking. Columbus needs the true homegrown superstar as well. Where would you like to see Connor Bedard go? I would anywhere that hasn't like had a series of number one picks over the years, right? And so when you look at the teams towards the bottom of the standings, like Anaheim and Columbus both fit that bill. Uh, Anaheim's had lousy, like Anaheim was good for a long, long, long period of time before their recent step back as an organization, but they haven't won a a draft lottery Columbus unless I'm forgetting something same thing so I'd like to see him go somewhere where they haven't been gifted that type of player in the past and and obviously it's a lottery anything can happen you know I'm not cheering for him to be in any particular market but you know it'd be kind of cool if he's in Vancouver just because he's a Vancouver kid I don't know if that would be too much pressure you know he's a Canucks fan like I I don't know if but something like that would be kind of neat if that happened um but as I say, just just don't give it to a team that's already had lots of number one overall picks. I like to see the idea is that it's spread around. And so there's a few teams towards the bottom of the standings that, that haven't won those number one overall picks. So let's see who gets them. 
from uh, Alt Jeans TV, your favorite restaurant in Coburg. And the rest of the qu- rest of the tweet says, I'm going to have to go with Golden Chopsticks or Yorkies. One has great Japanese Korean. Other is my go to barbecue joint. Are you familiar with either of those places? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're from Coburg, you know, every restaurant that's there. I mean, it, it's hard because some of like go in and out of business, but like, yes, Um you know, I had a nice meal at Cucina Urbina, uh, which is like an Italian place down near the Coburg Beach. Uh, you're, I, I guess in October, I had an old friend in town and uh, went out to dinner with him and his wife there. That place was great. I've only been once, so I don't know if I can call that my favorite, but it was really good. They have this this fancy restaurant called Boston Pizza that I've been to a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, the True Living family knows all about Boston Pizza. But the truth is, is most of the time I'm there, Coburg Papa just makes food. So we, we don't usually, I don't eat out a whole lot in Coburg. Um, there's a cool, oh, what's the diner called? I'm just drawing a, there's a nice diner downtown. that I guess sometimes we would go for like a lunch or something like a brunch kind of thing. Uh, man, I'm, I'm going to have to give in my Coburg card. I can't even think of, I'm, th- see, no. I, I didn't, I didn't pre look at these questions ahead of time. So then I, I didn't prepare the buttermilk cafe. If you're looking okay. for like, if you're looking for like a good lunch or like, eggs and whatever i like the buttermilk cafe too also it is true cj does not look at these questions beforehand by the way for people who ever wondered if that's the case when we answer these questions i think it, i think it's better to get my real answer right like i, I think I it is too reverse, but i mean the problem is every once in a while you ask me a really specific cba question and i don't know the answer like that's i could probably better serve the audience if i think about stuff like that but for the most part i just want you to see my honest reaction to, as though you were asking me the question in in real life absolutely and i i'm totally for it this is just an opportunity for us to you know peel back the curtain and let people know how the sausage gets made which is another thing i love about the show is when we get to points like that anyway uh from george on discord chili beans or no beans beans absolutely how is chili chili without beans? I, I didn't even know there's a version of chili that doesn't include beans. Like, I'm not sure I've ever had chili without beans. Me neither. I don't know. Unless there is a version of it without beans that we just don't know about. I know when I worked at Wendy's in high school, I was putting beans in the chili. Hey. <laughs> Tell you, man, I, I, you got to do like, like a book of your time at Wendy's. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm it, kidding. Was, I'm it was a great time in my life, man. I loved it. I loved it. I was grateful to have a job. It became another group of friends. I put three years in at Wendy's. It was great. Hey, man. Those three years, they helped shape you into who you are. <laughs> Among other things. Among other things. Uh, I, ate, to- I ate probably too many half-price burgers because that was we got 50% off. So the temptation was high when you had a break or whatever to just go spend three bucks and have a burger. Yeah, those were the days. I was king of the world. <laughs> Let's get to Sam Trot's question. Uh, it has been some time since the Tim Peel incident. Remember the Tim Peel incident when he yeah. uh, got caught on a hot mic? Anyway, it has been some time since that incident regarding the game management aspect of refereeing. Do you feel anything has been done substantially to crack down on game management? And if not, why does the media not press the NHL more to address it? I don't know. Is this really that big issue? I don't know. You tell me. So I guess, I mean, maybe you should, I'm not sure who asked that question, but 
that person has every right to go at me because I'm not, I don't have this highlighted as like one of this huge issue in hockey. Um, I, I think it would be unrealistic to think that any game that's refereed by humans or umpired by humans wouldn't have some degree of game management. I mean, we all, you, you, the idea is you're trying to impose a set of rules that are seen through the experience of the person who's got the whistle and the, and the striped shirt on, and you're trying to fairly adjudicate those rules. It's, it's impossible to do it. I don't see how you could ever not have like some human bias or whatever in there. And I think by and large, the referees don't want to decide the game. I know the counter argument is by not calling penalties, you're deciding the game in some sense, but I think by and large, the referees want to keep the power plays mostly equal and let the players decide the game. I mean, it, I'm not sure there's a perfect solution there. And and so I don't I don't know that anything's changed, but I I don't know how it could change. I mean, at least at least with baseball like the robo umps make some sense cuz technology has got to the point where you could literally just have the strike zone and and have a robot correctly call that. Uh but hockey will always be a game with some je ne sais quoi, some a little bit of like it's imperfect. That's why it's one of the reasons I really hate the offside reviews is cuz you know, not not to open that door, but like I just feel like yeah, like stuff gets the game is so fast. Like, how can the referee know or the linesman know? Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, I guess I just I hate that too. You should look to improve and be as accurate as you can be, of course. But there's shit's gonna happen, you know, shit's gonna happen. It's always happened. That's what that's what this sport is. It's beautiful chaos, right? Like, that's that's what hockey is. It, it's it, there's no perfect. It's rubber on ice. It's bounces. It's crazy things. Like the golden goal by Sidney Crosby in the 2010 Olympics, like went off the, the referee's skate right beforehand, right? Like, like, but that happens a thousand times. Like stuff like that goes on. It's not, you know, everyone's doing their best out there. I guess. I, I, to that person's, to Samtron's question, though, to their point, like, you know, we get that stuff is imperfect, but once your team gets, you know, done wrong by those imperfections you that's why people get mad and get mad at referees right like no one wants to hear that the game is imperfect when a puck goes off a referee skate or something happens to disturb the play that should normally get called down and then it affects your team in a negative way like i I can understand why they would get angry about that and if a referee is is just going to openly say like yeah i'm just going to manage the game I can understand the the frustration with that because everyone wants the game to be called fairly. And even if there is going to be a sense of, you know, different sense of how games are called from ref to ref. But I don't think like, referees like, do you, I don't know. I give referees more benefit of the doubt, maybe. But like, I don't think they're out there trying to influence the game. Honestly, I mean, I, I hope they're not trying to call the, they're trying to call the rules. Yeah. And and some are better at it than others, just like some podcasters are better than others or some reporters are better than others or some you know, Wendy's employees are better than others. Um, but like, I think by and large, and, and this is why it's a privilege to get selected into the playoffs, like the best people on earth at adjudicating this game of chaos are doing it. Um, but also look at, I live like there's still people 30 years later in Toronto that are bitching about a missed high stick call in the 1993 playoffs on, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Doug Gilmore, uh, Sean McIndoe. He's still pissed. Shout out down goes Brown. I love down goes Brown, but I'm just saying like, and I'm not saying he's wrong to be like I this. I get that this defines uh, sports, man. Yeah, I, I feel like I wasn't armed with the best way to answer that question. No, I think there was a great. I think there was a great response. To inside I'm sorry, of the Sam. Debate. I'm sorry because I've I've fallen short on that one. But 
you know. No, I don't think you've fallen short on that at all. I think you bring a good answer. Uh, last one from Cloblink. Quite often we hear about arenas that have bad ice and the same locations seem to come up year after year. With how much these conditions can negatively affect the game, the risk of injury, why isn't there more of a push from NHL head office to fix ice surfaces with recurring issues? Easy answer, because most of the ones that we might class as bad ice are the busiest buildings in the league, which have, you know, frequently where the basketball floor or the concerts are, are, you know, coming on and off the surface. And the NHL doesn't control that, right? The NHL doesn't have 32 buildings where it's only NHL tenants. Um, many of the, the buildings are multi-use facilities in the league. The people that own those buildings are often the owners of the same NHL teams. They're They're trying to drive more revenue through their doors. And at the expense of the ice occasionally. So I, I just think the NHL only has so much control over that. They do have a chief ice maker. That's probably not the official title, but they have someone whose job it is to go work with ice crews when there is certain problems. I, I think they do what they can to have quality control be what it is. But I mean, I, if you have a building like crypto.com arena, isn't it it's in LA? It was going to almost sit Staples Center. Like you got two basketball teams. I still recognize it as Staples Center. So okay. sorry, crypto.com. So Staples Center, you, you've got two basketball teams and the LA Kings there. I mean, it's just a busy-ass building. Um, you know, even Scotiabank Arena here in Toronto, there's tons of concerts in addition to the Raptors and the, the Maple Leafs. And so, yeah. And, you know, climate and all those things play into it too. But, you know, it's not a coincidence. Edmonton's always considered to have the best um, ice or up there. I mean, it's it's a cold-weather climate in which there's not another permanent shared in, in tenant that isn't playing hockey. I mean, I think the WHL team plays there, but they're, they're not putting a basketball floor down 41 times a year either. So uh, that's that. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, the Hitmen play also at the Saddle Dome as well and, and the Wranglers too. So I know the ice there. Sometimes you're seeing games. Guys are falling over. So I'm, and they have concerts and stuff too. So that's part of it as well. Edmonton, by the way, beautiful rink. But also you mentioned the cold climate there. No wonder everyone there is so mean. There's nothing well, to do except go to games. I'm kidding. Another thing too is new buildings have better facilities to to make the ice too, right? Like I'm sure I haven't asked anyone, but I would assume the Saldom is one of the oldest buildings in the league. Like, it probably, it, there's probably only so much they can do just because the technology has improved over the over the time with the new buildings. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to do it for uh, this week's ed- well, this Monday edition of uh, the CJ Show and this week's edition of Ask CJ, the last one we're doing before Christmas. Uh, hopefully everyone is able to enjoy uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever holiday you are able to celebrate around this time of year. We will be back on Wednesday, not Thursday, Wednesday, with a brand new episode of the CJ Show, our last one before Christmas. Maybe we do something Christmas-themed. Maybe we wear Christmas hats, Santa outfits. Don't you have a Santa outfit? No. I have I have a Christmas hat, though. Okay, I, I'll find a Christmas hat. I had one back home, but uh, I didn't think I, I I don't remember if I brought it with me uh, to Calgary. So we'll, we'll try to be as festive as we can because we know how much uh, we love. Uh, well, I know CJ loves Christmas. Yeah, I did a big run to the dollar store and got Santa hats and stuff when I saw my niece and nephew recently. And we went to a Santa oh. parade. So I've still got my hands on that stuff. All right, cool. So uh, maybe you'll see some of it on Wednesday. Uh, For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Peace. The Chris Johnson Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnson Show.